You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and the skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to The Boutique with Collective 54, a podcast for founders and leaders of boutique professional services firms. For those that don't know us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community to help you grow, scale, and exit your firm bigger and faster. I'm Greg Alexander, the founder of The Place, and today I'm going to be your host. And joining me is a longtime friend and member, Dan Bernoski. And today we're going to talk about uh, sales and marketing and go-to-market for your professional services firm. So, Dan, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good morning. If you would not mind, could you uh, introduce yourself and your firm to the group? Sure. Yeah, I am uh, Dan Bernoski, the founder of the Cortado Group, and we are a boutique consultancy serving companies uh, that are owned by private equity firms. Okay, very good. So, Dan, today we're going to talk about sales and marketing um, specific to boutique professional services firms. In other words, how you take your services to market. And given that this is what you do for your clients, I would imagine you're an expert in doing it for yourself. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, and they're meant to just kind of stimulate thought and get the conversation going. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is that you have a close rate of 65%, which is incredible. And that number says and means a lot of things. And I'm not sure our membership is, is tracking close rate as diligently as they should. And when they do track it and they have the number, how to interpret the number. So first, tell the audience how you got to 65% and then interpret that number for us. Well, I mean, the first thing is targeting the right, the right companies. I mean, starting out with the ideal customer profile or, or client profile, um, keeps us super, super laser focused on calling on the right accounts that that's probably the biggest contributor um and then and then greg you know buyer personas i mean okay so there's one thing to get into the right company but a whole other thing to be talking to the right person the decision maker so those two things combined contributed to that rate yep and and what i love about that is that you know people like yourself that are running these high growth boutique professional services firms we're resource constrained. There's only so many hours in a day, so many, only so many people on the team, there's only so much, so much money in the bank account. So if we're wasting our resources by not being as targeted as Dan is, or, or are, is I guess is the way you would say that, um, then you know your close rate's gonna be 20, 30%, and sometimes people think that's good, it's not good, because what that means, let's say your close rate's 30%, that means yeah. you're losing seven out of 10 times. So think about all the effort associated in those pursuits and you're losing seven out of 10 times. It's just eliminate that and you're going to recapture all those resources. Now I advocate Dan that the close rate should be 50% and I would, I would suggest that 65 is too high, which sounds almost, you know, counterintuitive. Like why? I mean, maybe close rate should be a hundred percent, but when I hear 65%, I think maybe you're not in enough deals or you're not charging enough for your services. So what do you think about the 65% number and how do you interpret that? This is a, so glad you brought it up. And that is a huge debate for us around um, one of the points you made pricing. So are we pricing ourselves 
we're, we're trying to weigh the balance of not pricing ourselves out of our target market. I mean, I'm going toward the small to mid market company. So weighing that balance. So I suspect maybe we're pricing a little too low. Um, and then we may be, you know, the other thing, Greg, is maybe our ICP is a little too tight. So to your point that if we're not getting into enough deals, are we constricting ourselves from other opportunities that we're just not seeing? Yeah. And, that, and you're right. And that's how you interpret that number. So there, there is such a thing as a close rate being too good. Because again, that might be restricting your market opportunity. So the most important thing is what we're learning from this is to really be super crystal clear on two things that Dan is teaching us today. Number one, who the ideal client profile is. And I know right now everybody's rolling their eyes in the back of the head because they say, I hear this from Greg all the time, yet many of us still don't have that done correctly. And that's a dynamic document, not a static document. It changes over time as your firm evolves. And then secondly, once you pick the clients you want to go after, who's the individual or group of people in those accounts that you want to sell to? And Dan, in your case, you're selling sales and marketing effectiveness improvement. So are you selling to the CMO or the head of sales or who are you selling to? Yeah, if we were up in the enterprise, that's exactly where we'd be, Greg. But we sell to companies. So our ICP, the ideal client profile, uh, 10 to 500 million in size, owned by private equity. So we're selling to we're selling to the private equity operating partners and the CEO level. Like that's that's really our sweet spot. Okay, so let's apply this concept of buyer personas to. Uh, to those two particular individuals, an operating partner in a PE shop and a CEO of a portco. So first, there might be some folks listening that don't know what a buyer persona is. So give us a quick definition of that. Well, think of it as a fictitious representation of your buyer. And what does that mean? That means I'm going to know how are they motivated to do their job right? What are the obstacles standing in their way of doing their job? How are How is success measured? There's a a whole bunch of um, things that go into that, but you need to get this psychographic profile of your buyer so you really understand how they think and how they act. Yeah, okay, perfect. All right, so let's start with the first one, the CEO of the Put Co. So maybe give us two or three things that you know about that buyer persona as an illustration or an example of what, what should be on a buyer persona. Well, first of all, they have their PE backed, so we know that they're going to want to exit in three to five years. So that maximum exit valuation, huge objective. Okay, so let's stop there because that's a great one. So you know yeah. that this CEO is mm-hmm. the CEO of a portco owned by PE, which means they're selling in three to five years. So his motivation is to get to that successful exit, correct? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So then when you're positioning your services, just to connect the dots here for the audience, you're connecting it to that priority, that goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's going to resonate with it. It's going to mean something. So, so how do you do that? Well, we do that um, like how, how we actually execute this on multiple levels. But let, let's just take the, pr- the, the proposal. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Kind yes, of a, exactly that, that, what I yeah. mean. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how we'd frame up our solution, it has to really satisfy that that objective for him. So all of our solutions have to point that direction. So, for example, yeah, we're going to help improve the revenue on your company. But what we'd like to do is show a case study that demonstrates the fact that in three to five years, the lift that we're going to provide today is actually going to lead to 
a two or three X multiple on their, on their exit, for example. Um, so always, always tying everything back to that, that objective there. That's um, a great example. I mean, that's a, that's a built in cost justification for your project. Yeah. You know, you, oh, you're putting, a, you put a proposal on the table and then instead of just leaving it in isolation, you connect it to this objective and you say, if we're successful with this project, here's what it means to you in dollars and cents expressed as a multiple on EBITDA, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm kind of going to go on a rabbit hole here, but it highlights the fact that um, when we think about go to market, I think there's a, a long overlooked tool and that is the proposal is actually your most important piece of marketing and sales material. I, I've got a website, uh, fabulous research reports, but the, the rubber meets the road on this proposal. Mm-hmm. So all the more reason why it has to speak to that persona, that objective. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes these proposals are kind of templatized or um, they don't put the firm's best foot forward at times, which I agree with you. The proposal is often overlooked. Um mm-hmm. And that's a good piece of advice for the members is to take a fresh look at their proposal and make sure it's connecting to the motivations expressed in your buyer persona and within your ideal client uh, profile. Okay, let's go to the next big thing as it relates to go-to-market strategy for a boutique professional services firm. There's three things. We talked about one, which is the close rate. And we had an interesting conversation around your remarkable 65%. The next is average deal size. So if I'm winning five out of 10 deals and they're worth 50 grand, that's a lot different than winning five out of 10 deals and they're at 500 grand. So how are you optimizing for deal size? Oof, man, that, that is a, such a tough one because what, what, I'm, what I'm finding is, well, it boils down to willingness to pay. What does that mean? Uh, well, what, what is the perceived value of your solution to the buyer, um, and what are they willing to pay? Yeah. So, uh, you know, what, what, uh, how much of their money is going to come out of their pocket into mine? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of. I, I think you've got some great sale uh, uh, pricing experts in the collective that could probably speak to that one. Yeah. So, what, <laughs> what, what Dan's referring to there as a way to optimize for deal size is, is that you put a proposal on the table, you're going after a mission critical, urgent problem. And if the problem is not solved, there's a real cost. Or if the problem is solved, there's a real reward. And quantifying those in hard dollars creates a perceived value. Let's just say, I don't know, it's $5 million as an example. So then the conversation is what percentage of that gain that you're delivering to the client is the client willing to share with you? 10%, 20%, and then you back into your price there. And that's how you optimize for a deal size. And then. You're in the management consulting industry, that's your sector, and you specialize in sales and marketing. So I'm assuming that your model is one where you want to have, relatively speaking, a small number of clients, but you want each one of those clients to spend a lot. Is that correct? Absolutely. Overserve them. Right. Overserve those clients. So therefore, you're, you're staying away from clients who, you know, might need an act of God to spend 25 grand. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but you know, what's interesting though, in terms of uh, deal size is that we've also found that this size client, they, they do buy in bite sized chunks. So there's another lever I really pay attention to. And that is what's the customer lifetime value that, 
you are are given the size of 500 uh, uh, the 10 to 500 million dollars they're not going to buy the 1 million dollar deal mm. but they will buy maybe the equivalent of that over time right and that's what you really have to think about is what how is it that they buy that's yeah. huge so that's interesting that. so lifetime value that's a great concept i'm glad you introduced it you can get to the same dollar amount in that example a million bucks but instead of one deal maybe it's four two hundred fifty thousand dollar deals so that raises another interesting question regarding go to market and that is expansion revenue from existing clients mm. versus new revenue from new logos so do you have a, a different sales approach when trying to grow an existing client than you do opening up a new one? Uh, we, we do. Um, the reason why is because you're embedded with the client. Um, so the behavior is a lot different. Your interactions with them there, you're kind of uncovering needs as you're, as you're going along. And so therefore the, the reception on their side is much more open-minded. So that, that approach is very different than going in on a new logo. Sometimes I hear, different. sorry, sometimes I hear from clients, however, if their consulting company is always looking for the next deal while they're working on the <laughs> current project, it can be a turnoff. How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, that is a, that's a big balance. Um, well, we're not selling. It's always framed up around making sure that they've got a problem that needs to be solved. I, I just very, very much and problem focused, always, always not solution focused. I can't I actually, Greg, you know, I come out of a product background, which I've applied to my approach for building our solutions. And there's a great saying in that space that says, don't be in love with the solution, be in love with the problem. So the more that I enforce that with my people to seek out that problem, it, it actually doesn't feel like selling. It really feels like trying to help out the buyer persona as much as possible. That, that's a really uh, small point, but it does make a difference. Yeah, that does make a big difference. It's it's a big point, actually, not a small point. I'm glad you, you mentioned it. Just one more question regarding expansion sales from existing accounts. Let's say I'm a delivery person on your team. I'm not held accountable to growing revenue, and I get deployed on a project, and I got to get done in 90 days, and I'm on a project plan, and I got to issue X amount of deliverables. And then are you also asking me to be a salesperson or am I just focused on that project? Like who's doing the expansion selling? So right now it's the, the partners who are, we're, we're small enough where each partner can have a set of, of clients that they're overseeing. So we really try to push that over to them. The job of the of the consultant is to find the evidence and bring it back to us. I see. And just enlighten us because you know, the other important, well, you brought up a great point. I want them focused on delivering good work because good work actually is the other big piece that sells you more is if you just do a good job, that's that gets you there. But also the, the partner will have the overall strategic viewpoint of how that, that evidence actually fits into the bigger story. So that's the approach that we always do. I think that's a great division of labor. So the delivery team does have an eye towards growing revenue, but they're not held accountable to the sale. They they kick over the evidence to the partner, and then the partner's got enough skill and probably enough savvy to to reapproach the client and say, "Hey, my team has uncovered this additional problem. I want to talk to you about it." That type of thing. Absolutely, yeah. And that's working well for you. 
That works real well. Yeah, and, and also think about the delivery. They're good at delivery. It doesn't mean they're very good at selling. Yeah. So get everybody focused on their skill set. Yeah. Okay, so then the third kind of leg of the stool as it relates to go-to-market excellence in selling professional services is the length of the sales cycle. Mm-hmm. And that rounds out the other two, which is the average deal size and the close rate. Um, one thing that kills boutique owners is the sales cycles are just too long. Back to my earlier comments around pursuit cost. You know, and if it takes forever to sell a deal, I mean, it's just a constant drag. Now, you've got two markets. You've got a channel, the PE space, which, and I'm assuming that takes a little bit longer. And then you've got your put co company, the portfolio company of the PE firm, which I'm assuming takes a little bit longer. But, but is that true? Are those two different lengths of sales cycle? Yeah, 100%. Very different. How long is the um, PE sales cycle? PE is nine to 12 months. Wow. And you're willing yeah. to hang in there that long. How come? Yeah, because once you're in, I mean, basically it's a hunting license. Um, and you do a good job on the first portfolio company, earn their trust, and then you become a part of their toolkit. I see. And so that, that Greg, I mean, saves a lot of, a lot of selling time alone. So it's worth getting in. So you get it, you spend a year to get into a PE shop, but they might own 20 companies. So that's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, very cool. And then the portfolio company, what's the sales cycle there? Uh, quite a bit shorter, around 30 to 45 days. Got it. Um, for those. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. So listeners, what that's known as is a sell-through model, as opposed to a sell-to model. And you might learn from Dan and say to yourself, do I have any partners that I can sell through that if I establish a relationship with, they could grant me access to a much broader prospect base? Uh, that's a very interesting approach and probably a topic for another day. All right, my man, listen, we're out of time here, but that was a great um, session. I appreciate you dropping your wisdom with us. Um, if you don't mind, explain to the audience how to get a hold of you if they have some follow-up questions. Sure. Cortadogroup.com. C-O-R-T-A-D-O group.com. Um, online or yeah, just fill out a form, reach out to me, and we'll go from there. All right. Awesome. All right. And for those listeners that might want to learn more about this topic and others, you can uh, check out a book. Uh, it just became an Amazon uh, number one bestseller in that category. Right. Yeah. I'm really happy about that. It's called The Boutique how to start, scale, and sell a professional services firm. And again, you can find it on Amazon and other e-tailers. And uh, if you liked this and you want to meet other great people like Dan, uh, consider joining our mastermind community. You can find that at collective54.com. Dan, thanks a bunch, man. Take care. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it.